0: The following is a conversation with Binesh Banerjee. Binesh is associated director of AI and ML at Penguin Random House USA and one of the most distinguished AI experts at Berelsmann. Our discussion with Binesh ranges from key AI applications such as the simile product he developed at Penguin Random House to notions of artificial general intelligence. This is an episode of the Bertelsmann AI Expert Group testimonial podcast series. If you want to get in touch with me, Carsten Mönning, and my co-host, Markus Koring, to provide feedback or to suggest future guests and topics, please send an email to aiexpertgroup at or simply connect on LinkedIn. And now on to our conversation with Binesh. So yeah, welcome everybody. We are with Binesh Banerjee today. Um, We are actually on the final day of the Bertelsmann Data Exchange week, lots of activities around everything related to data and the data and AI community at Bertelsmann. And um, we're in the fortunate position that because of these activities, uh, Binesh is with us today. Came over from the US. He's based um, Penguin Random House, New York. Binesh is the Associate Director of AI and Machine Learning at Penguin and House US and SSI as part of the Bellsman Data Exchange Week, which took place from the 7th of October until this very day. Effectively, he had a presentation on some of his exciting work uh, in the AI and machine learning domain, in particular and certain product he developed over the years and which is now widely used throughout Penguin Random House, I dare say. So, um, we'll kick off discussions with um, the usual question. Uh, which is, Binesh, if you just, for those people in the podcast who haven't come across you, you know, just introduce yourself very briefly, say, you know, what you've done in the area of AI, how you got into AI in the first place, and the sort of thing which got you into your particular role at Penguin Random House, please.
1: All right. Well, I mean, uh, AI is what drew me into computer science to begin with. Like, way back when, when I was 14, I saw War Games and uh, Terminator, and I was like, that's what I want to do. Um, so yeah, so, uh, that was well before college. Um, so when I went to college, I was, I I actually was, and this is back in the late eighties, early nineties, I was, uh, looking into like neural networks. The expert systems were a big thing back then. I was never a big fan of expert systems. There were interesting discussions with the with the with the professor about you know because he was big on expert systems and I was big on neural networks so we would have interesting discussions about that but yeah so I've been I've been interested in it for a long like that was what drew me into it in the beginning um, of course there was the various AI winters and so I was not doing that professionally until I'm going to say about ten years ago uh, when I started doing stuff again at PRH. I'm curious
0: because I wasn't aware of this in particular, as you say, because um, how did you manage actually to convince your professor that you actually go into neural networks as opposed to expert systems or genetic programming or whatever else was fashionable at the time?
1: It's kind of funny. I didn't convince him. They were just debates that we would have. I I totally appreciate I, – I still to this day uh, – am appreciative of the discussions that we had and I am appreciative especially of the fact that he held his like that he had his opinion and I had mine and even if we didn't shift that's cool I'm totally fine with that and what's really funny is I think it was about last year I went to go visit back my professor and uh you know to see what he thought given that deep learning has taken up and he still hasn't changed his mind he still thinks that like this is their, Do you know? Do you know of an author named uh, Gary Marcus who is a big deep learning skeptic? Um, I would say he's a similar kind of character uh but but yeah we we had it was it was a really interesting experience which well we, we don't have to we don't have to go into but um
0: no we do have to okay. now because i think that's very interesting <laughs> too I, um i hope some people in the podcast find it interesting as well because um it, it, it is as you say and over here in germany i dare say i'm not going to name any institutions they're, they're a bit in, in that sort of uh, problem area as well where they banked on expert systems for years on end and did you know, did particularly well, maybe, in certain areas, anyway, traffic control systems and stuff like that, but completely missed, let's say, the train on on the neural network or deep learning revolution and still playing catch-up to a degree. But one line of argument we've come across every once in a while here is then to say, okay, yeah, we have to admit neural networks and deep learning, that's great and great success and it's, kind of still accelerating and improving but it's very domain specific and if we want to do general intelligence or human level intelligence one point then clearly something else has to come back into the mix and that amongst other things could be expert systems or uh, something a little bit more rule driven let's say that that's that way.
1: that's a really weird perspective i mean cuz the thing about deep learning is that it can handle New sort of, I mean, yes, the, everything is narrow. I mean, expert systems like uh, what was it, Dendrol? was uh, was it was it dendral and mycin, right? Yeah. Dendrol was for like a molecular, like um, something about molecules, and uh, mycin, if I remember right, was for uh, meningitis. I mean, it wasn't even generalized to like other diseases. It was very specifically for meningitis. So it's a strange argument for as far as that goes, but um, as far as like if if one is recommending expert systems, expert systems I felt were always very brittle. Like if you went slightly outside of what they, I mean, there was always the whole interviewing process with the domain expert. Um, I as far as as far as the general in, in general AI um, or AGI, right? Basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so what it was is that people often say, like I, I hear this complaint often from Gary Marcus types, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, It'd be interesting if Gary Marcus heard this. but anyway. Keep it internal to start off with. <laughs> anyway, um, people often say, oh, well, you know, I, I didn't have to show my, my four-year-old child 10,000 examples of giraffes yeah. before it could learn giraffes, so there must be something that we're missing. And I argue we're not missing anything because let's take your four-year-old child, and I will show your four-year-old child 100,000 examples of QR codes right half of which are odd numbers and half of which are even numbers and I'll Bet you I will never get any other answer other than that's a bunch of dots And I think the critical thing that they are missing is evolution that four-year-old child is not four years old That four-year-old child is 50 million years old.
0: That's a great argument because um, Jan LeCun at New York University amongst other things of course I, I think I might get this slightly wrong, but um, so, yeah, let's hope this is only internal, so Jan Lekun is like, you know, <laughs> these people are talking crazy stuff. But I think that his line of argument, and bizarrely enough, he's also qu- quoting four-year-olds. <laughs> so four-year-olds might be some threshold, I don't know. But he's basically saying, you know, ask a four-year-old, any four-year-old, what causes wind, wind to blow? And the majority of them might ask, answer, or one quite possible answer would be, it's the leaves, the, the leaves of the tree—they're shaking, and that produces the wind. Okay. And it's the same thing. It's—it's it's not because they're stupid. Yeah. It's because they haven't evolved, or they had not gained that level of experience or understanding that that is actually the other way around, and and cause cause and, and effect. Um. And and so in the same line of argument, basically saying, okay, you can't just say deep learning is stupid because you know it hasn't simply evolved to that point of view. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, it's a philosoph- philosophical question, maybe, and and, and um, the interesting bit for our audience, particular, will be. Um, before we go off on a completely different tangent, <laughs> uh-huh. is how does that all apply to the world of bells, man? In particular, to your work at Penguin Random House and the publishing business in particular. I mean, clearly you are very interested in these topics and these discussions and these mm-hmm. thoughts, and, and clearly there got to be some sort of relationship to the work you do. And you know, if if you sort of try to to make this connection, what what what? Oh, how absolutely. does that translate it, into it, your it, daily professional life?
1: It translates nearly perfectly because mm-hmm. the the reason that I the thing that I find most interesting interesting about the work. So Simile works uh, Simile is the neural network that I that I produced, right? Um, it operates over all of our books, which is like cookbooks and business books and all this other stuff, right? Um, to my mind, the most interesting is the fiction, right? Because fiction as far as I can tell, fiction, to understand fiction you need to understand humans. And you need to understand that entire 50 million year evolution that we were just talking about, right? Like, um, the example that I often use is, and I'm, uh, I'm sure lots of people have heard it, if <laughs> I might be repeating myself, but uh, I will be repeating myself. Um, no one sits their child down and says, when you experience these sets of things from others, this is the pain of betrayal. Mm-hmm. Like, the pain of betrayal is something that you just, like, it's just built into you, right? Um, and it feels to me that, like, understanding our fiction requires you to understand. Uh, if if you didn't have, because these, these machines are essentially just rocks. They don't know anything. So if you, like, we can... They can sort of cheat by just doing statistical analysis on text, which is what they, are. I mean, even even simile is doing that, right? But to get it to a real place of actually understanding, take the Martian, right? Um, in the Martian, Mark Watney is stranded on Mars, and he finally, after thinking that he probably is dead, finally gets connection to Earth, and then, this wasn't in the movie, but in the book, he forgets to ground himself and he accidentally shorts out his radio. So after, having, after being alone on the planet, he, he, gets, uh, he, gets, he gets to be able to talk to humans and then he loses the connection. I don't think most people would need to have it explained, this sense of loss that he would have, the loneliness that he must have experienced, right? But a machine needs it to be explained. Yeah, so Binesh, you uh, mentioned
0: simile earlier. So maybe for our audience, you can briefly explain what is it. So you mentioned it's a neural network, but what for? And maybe how did you come across with this idea?
1: Um, So... uh, So Simile is a neural network uh, that basically takes in all sorts of information about the book. Um, It takes the text, of course, uh, the entire text of the book. It takes the flap copy. It takes the cover. It takes various amounts, various types of uh, tags about the books that we have, and all of which can be null. And on the basis of that, it tries to. um, So. The thing, and as far as supervised learning goes, it's trying to predict back out just the tags, right? But um, in between, it has a whole set of embedding layers. So it has, it can, it can reduce those books into a set of vectors, and I produce a bunch of them, right? So the visualization that I try to show people um, is, uh, there's a two-dimensional one, there's a three-dimensional one. So those are, those are purely visualization ones. There's an eight-dimensional vector and a 512-dimensional vector that are so the 512-dimensional vector, as you can imagine, is much richer, and so it can maybe maybe by maybe well, I might be getting into the weeds here, but uh, but basically um, the in in the three, well, I'll, I'll just say in the two-dimensional version, right? There is a region for children's books and there is a region for classics. Right. So like Jane Austen, Moby Dick, all that will be in classics and like Clifford the Big Red Dog and like other things will be in will be in Children's. But then there are books like Winnie the Pooh and like Alice in Wonderland, which arguably are both. Right. The the problem is uh, that just spatially in the two-dimensional case, they are on nearly opposite sections because most classic books are not children's; they're adults-oriented books. Um, and so, in the two-dimensional case, it's unable to put there's not does not representational capacity for it to put to have a children's classic section. But the 512-dimensional one, it can; it will put there will be a five there will be a section there'll be a place for children's classics. Um, and out of curiosity, um, what sort of distance
0: metric, in a way, do you apply to to actually uh, generate events? this 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 cl- um, closeness, if you like, in in or spatial closeness in in vector space? What, what sort of
1: um, so really, it's given. Complete freedom as to where to put those things. I, you know, I am really only optimizing cross entropy on the tags ultimately, but it is given the freedom. And so the, um, I should say, the embeddings, in general, uh, you know, for so in in general, a big thing that has happened in neural networks is uh, swip, swan, swapping out the uh, sigmoid activation function or the H hyperbolic tangent uh, functions for RELUs. Um, in general, Simile is using uh, random ReLUs. So on the plus side, it's a one. On the negative side, it is a random number between, I think it's a third and an eighth. That's mm-hmm. just getting into the weeds probably. But um, but in, on the embedding layers, I use hyperbolic tangent because I don't. the, the problem with the ReLUs is that they are unbounded. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want the embeddings to have like 4,000 as, as one of its components. And if it is 4,000, that seems high, but maybe there's a 200,000. I, like, I have no way of... Because it's hyperbolic tangent, I can I can say that everything is going to be between negative one and one. Yeah, you
0: have a proper cutoff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. G- getting back to your previous train of thought, and and maybe I just get this plane wrong, but um, when you were talking about The Martian and uh, the book versus uh, the... the Naturally, the slightly different movie version of it. Um, when I got you wrong, when I got you right, uh, assuming I got I got you right, is that you're basically saying? I mean, similarly, of course, is hugely mighty in in, in its in its in its non-reduced form. Dimensionally, we used from is a hugely dimensional mapping from from all this input information you listed to that output vector space, and giving you all sorts of interesting information, also very valuable information for business. And we get to this in, in in a minute, maybe about the actual applications, various applications of of, of this network. But we are kind of um, implying that at some point, maybe. Um, or, or, sort of retracting this a little bit, are you basically saying, and and this is again a little bit philosophical maybe, that, that emotions like the one uh, Mark Watney is of course experiencing all the way by himself on, on, a, on a remote planet, um, that that could be a simulation is that more like a simulation a neural network could achieve uh, some something even more sort of higher dimensional like you given the right sort of input information if you like and the right mapping or in, is, is that what you were kind of of getting at at that point or
1: um,
0: so is it is this just a simulation or is it something inherent human yeah. which uh, whatever deep, net, deep neural net work-based approach we come up with, we'll never manage to actual, actually model because of such a
1: it's intrinsic... Kind of, it's kind of interesting. Um, well, it's... Uh, so I think... Um, I think it understanding emotions in some larger way for us to get beyond um, what I consider kind of like just so for instance, if you and I are having a conversation, like right now, I just mentioned The Martian, and I mentioned, what else? I mentioned another book, I forgot. But um, you didn't then vomit out like 10,000 books that might be similar to me, right? This is a this is a conversation that we're having. And I, I feel like a human conversation, when someone says that they read a book, is to say, like, what did you like about the book? What are things that were interesting about the book? Um, and I think to get to that point, and And that is kind of what I'm after. With that's like my ultimate, like far-out goal, is to get something that understands the book in a in a in something more than just either these people who bought this are bought. you know. It doesn't really know anything. It just knows these people bought the same thing or that these are statistically has the same vocabulary.
0: Because so at things. the end of that, that is only an approximation what you actually truly try to achieve, which is the emotional attachment or the, the emotional right. relationship the readers have to these books, right? Exactly.
1: The book has to speak to you personally. Like one of the other examples that I often say is I want a search engine that would say something like that you could ask, I want a book that is about a boy's struggles with his father. Um, You know, I don't know that a search engine is going to get you. know, There might be book reviews that will tell you that, right? But something else, or like, let's say if it's the Karate Kid and you want to say, I want to do the same, I want something similar where there is a female, because people often use, um, what what is the tag that people often say that they want to find uh, strong female characters, strong female characters is boring because that's people tag things that so like i don't have to understand anything about the book to get strong female characters because humans have tagged it that what i want is something where i could say i want a very specific i want the karate kid i want something like the karate kid except where both of the characters are now turned into females, and it doesn't have to be about karate; it has to be just about a mentorship relationship between a um, a girl and a, and a and an older woman, right? Um, find me books like that. Or the other one that I might say is, for instance, in Romeo and Juliet, you have uh, Romeo is Romeo and Juliet are love interests for each other, arguably, right? Uh, Paris is arguably a love interest for uh, Juliet, but it's not reciprocated, right? And uh, you have, like, uh, maybe you have Tybalt is the cousin of Juliet and is the archenemy, arguably, of Romeo. And you have Mercutio and Benvolio, are best friends of Romeo, right? So maybe you read the book and you say, yeah, yeah, there's some romance or whatever, and I don't care. What I'm interested in is Mercutio and Benvolio. And it would be interesting if it could find Rosencrantz, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, I think, from Hamlet, right? Like if you could find other characters that are like that, that are unlikely to have been tagged by people as that. Um, I I want to be able to do more. Well, first of all, I want something that really does understand it. If I were to sell it to someone, if I... If I were to pitch it to someone, it might be to say, I want some more interesting search results. Really what I want is something that will have an interesting conversation with me about the book. Oh, you like this book? Why did you like this book? What was it that drew you to it? And you would have this whole thing about it. And maybe then afterwards, I would give you one book that I think is, really hits all the things that we had a conversation about. It wasn't just I typed some stuff into a search bar. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I couldn't fully agree more because the same sort of search or, or, or ultimate objective applies to all the other media types we're dealing with as a business. The same is with music. I and mean, if you listen to music, you don't listen to music because you think that, that, that maybe you do, but, but that musician looks so great, whatever, yeah, maybe. But at but you, you ent- the end of the day, it's some sort of emotional experience mm-hmm. you have with that content. Um, be it aggressive, be it smoothing, be it whatever else. Same with videos, same, exactly the same story. And it's that sort of level of semantic understanding, which we're right. all after. And which is so far is an exclusive human capability, if you like. Because, right. you know, animals are not capable of it. I mean, arguably to, to a little degree. Some I mean, some animals, of course, do show reactions, some form some of reaction to music. But, but nothing... Anywhere near to what what we do, and when we you talk to other people about your taste of music, that's what you talk about, right? It's it's because it you know it's energetic, whatever you feel emotionally attached. The characters are this and that, and then there's this particular storyline, and exciting, it's a love story, whatever, else. and you don't talk about metadata the way we talk about metadata these days. Yeah. you know, it's it's that sort of level which makes your work so exciting, and particularly your vision, you know, because um, um, it, it's it's suitably ambitious um, And to make this so interesting Um, But maybe from 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 your point of view as well. I mean What 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 are the particular obstacles which I mean of course the technology clearly, but what what keeps you? um, You know getting that little extra step is it more intensive Exchange with research or having more time to do research yourself is it is it the actual? applications because in the day we all have to earn money in some sure. shape or form or add business value let's put it that way do you need more resources available technical resources or skills to the team and your team or what is it even effectively what you believe um, what will be required to get you a little bit closer to yeah. to, to to that objective
1: um. GPUs, <laughs> lots and lots of GPUs would definitely be great, <laughs> right? Um, I wouldn't say that I have, I wouldn't say that I have that many obstacles. Um, I mean, there's the obstacles of it naturally being a difficult problem, but um, I'd say, fortunately, a I am given a fair amount of latitude in terms of like. Uh, what in, in terms of like directions that I want to go in, um, So I, I wouldn't say that I have uh, tremendous amounts of obstacles in that way other than the natural obstacle of it being a difficult task to begin with. Um, my minor peeve, this is, this is where it was going. My minor peeve is that I'm constantly being told to use these tools, like, sage maker or there's a lot of hype in the field and so i feel like these these big companies have sort of what they seem to be doing is they seem to be proposing things to what i call like you know these huge like these executives way up here right and they seem to be pitching first of all they seem to be deliberately I feel like when I go to these talks, they seem to be deliberately um, confusing inference and learning. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, oh, you know, if, you have, if you have this, you can do your machine learning task and you can just spin up 10,000 instances and you'll be 10,000 times faster. And they almost never really mean inf- machine learning. They mean inference, that you already have a trained model and now you can have 10,000 phones. They don't mean learning usually. And if you ask them later on, they'll they'll admit to it, which means they're lying. <laughs> right. But the other thing is that like um, they, you know, I, I went to a SageMaker one where the person was like, uh, th- this is from a person from Amazon who would say that like, oh, you know, if your machine learning is running slow, then just spin up multiple instances. And then there you'll have it And so, like, I I didn't say anything right then, but afterwards I went to him and I said, "I I happen to know that that, or I know enough about algorithms that that works for certain types of algorithms, the ones that are embarrassingly parallel, the ones that Hadoop used to do well at, right? But it won't work, it doesn't work in general for things. And especially for deep learning, they are dense matrix multiplications. Whenever people used to talk about multiplication in a sparse, in a, in a, massive environment it was always sparse matrix multiplication which is not the domain of deep learning so those that's my that's my minor little peeve is it seems as if I you know these these things are being pitched to these executives which then they will then I no one has been for no one has been forcing me to do any of this but they keep telling me about it and I sometimes get the impression that they I am only using these, you know, TensorFlow or I mean, PyTorch is my favorite, but mm-hmm. that I'm only using these low-level tools because I because I just want to do that. But it's not it's it's more than that. It's like I can't do certain things if I were to use these.
0: It, yeah, that's an interesting. It's not fashion. No, no, it's a very interesting point because of course are, these are controversial discussions as well, partly in the community, but but arguably um, some of the greatest advances in recent times. Anyway, I mean. Uh, backpropagation is not that long ago in a way but 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 is things like dropout and which are not about you know having so much more compute power or anything else it's simple ideas which speed up things dramatically and and don't impact conversion in in any way or ideas about learning rate optimization which are counterintuitive but but lead up to super convergence in very very fast and no you're not spinning up hundreds of gpus or even tpus which tpus in particular might be interesting but you can't even optimize against them because memory can't be accessed whatever else so you know very powerful but uh, when you come from a software engineering point of view exactly the wrong way to go mm-hmm. and that and and there's so much more to be gained from from applying good old software engineering principles to this domain rather than just launching yet another cluster um that seems to be forgotten sometimes even though there are of course parts in the community who do exactly that they say oh, okay yeah i can spin up yet another but, but that's not the point i want to i want to do good old engineering principles and see where i can make the algorithm more efficient in a different way and the other one i wholeheartedly agree i mean because of course we have these 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 powerful um, applications and, and, and APIs made available by the, the Googles and the Microsoft. And they have, of course, they have every right in their existence. But I think as part of the discussions yesterday in, in one of our work groups, I think it was put very nicely uh, by one of the moderators basically saying, OK, there is commodity stuff out there, mm-hmm. even in such a, um, it's not so recent, but in recently successful field such as deep learning. and. For that, it might be perfectly fine to use these ready-made services and, and, you know, there's also maybe a financial um, argument there. But for for those things, which are really the differentiator for you, where you can really make a difference, you know, like striving for some more semantic understanding of of our media content… Jesus Christ, do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> do it yourself. Develop it yourself. Make it your IP. Make it your differentiating capability um, compared to everyone else. Because, you know, really, you don't really need to understand what you're doing to, to use some of these commoditized services. And it's not gaining you any real competitive advantage. Right. Um, but those other things where you are putting all your effort in and get this semantic level of understanding, then that's where you should do your stuff by yourself, develop. Your capabilities yourself, mm-hmm. so you at least have that little extra, extra advantage for that limited amount of time until everyone else catches up. Um, so clearly, that's what you should do, and, and not rely on, on on commoditized services or hopefully to, or hoping to get the breaks with there, um, which which sort of nicely gets us uh, to to immediate follow-up question. If you like thinking ahead, as difficult as it is in our field, because five years already seem to be like, you know, eternity, but if I, if we dare ask that question anyway, where, where do you sort of see the, the publishing business going with this technology or related technology? Or is there even complete other technology outside of the neural network field where, where you think of that could have an impact in some ways um, in, in the publishing business? Not to go, go off on, on a tangent here, but, but of course the other things and um, people in PRH, I know they're looking into VRH, uh, virtual reality telling of books and stuff like that. But um, but from, from an AI point of view, what, what do you see there in uh, maybe a couple of years' time or what you're hoping to see in a couple of years' so, time? So,
1: I mean, I, I, short-term goals, and I have long, long-term goals, but intermediate goals, I feel like, are harder to... You know what I mean? Like, um, And I would say the five-year, I would consider as somewhat intermediary because primarily i don't think of the long term i don't I, I can't put a date to the long term thing right so i don't know what would i say for uh,
0: so for example can you transform similarly to other problems
1: for example is a cross okay. cross divisional Oh, well, okay. I mean, uh, so the, the audio now thing was essentially. yeah okay <laughs> That's what you did. And back in
0: Cologne, I think you just ran out of time training the thing, right? Wasn't that the reason? Well, why, no, the there was
1: right. a, well, this, uh, in, 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 in Cologne, yeah. we weren't doing that at all. There was, uh, oh, they basically, I, they were doing um, collaborative okay. filtering. On that. So, oh, okay. So, it so it I got it wrong being, because
0: I thought yeah, that you were working along that that, that way. Anyway, there, it but. was.
1: It, they they did run out of time doing the collaborative filtering. Oh, right? that as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but okay. uh, but yeah, the the um, but yeah, they would. They, it was it was collaborative filtering on that one. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no. The, the so it it's pretty. I mean, the the ability to handle text like that is pretty. Uh, is yeah. I, I basically. So uh, I I I was. I think, um, well, so I used, uh, so I didn't directly re I didn't directly reuse simile. I basically re-implemented the ideas. So I wanted, you know, part of the problem is like uh, simile takes a long time to train. Like each epoch is about half an hour um, if I don't include the images, because the images then adds time to it. So, but um so sometimes I've wanted to experiment with Simile, like with uh, so. For instance, I use a what's called a highway na- a, a highway layer in Simile, um, and there's a competing. A, i went, competing might be the wrong word, but it, there's another architecture called the ResNet, and you know they both came out about the same time, but highway layers came a little bit before that. So I started using that with Simile way back when, Um, ResNet is a little bit computationally cheaper. Uh, Effectively, a highway network is if you had, basically it has uh, the the sort of pass-through on every single one of the nodes per layer, as opposed to a ResNet, which just basically has a pass-through. So I wanted to see what, I I have wanted to see what simile would do okay with a ResNet, and so basically with audio now, I used a ResNet instead of a Highway layer. Um, what else did I do? Uh, I I messed with the I, I I was tweaking the the cost function a little bit. So there is the cost function as, as I said before the uh, cross entropy, but there's also I have yeah the cost the cost function is a little bit. Uh, i have tweaked it through the years right so for instance um you mentioned dropout right so i need i want uh if i if i pass the book if i pass the same book once through the network and another time through the network i want it nevertheless to produce the same kinds of results so i i i tell it that you have a cost if there is an extra cost if i send you the same input and you produce widely varying Results, that's a cost, right? So that's another cost that I gave it. Um, in, for audio now, I add another cost to make it so that the embeddings, even though they are hyperbolic tangents, that they would be closer to the center. Because otherwise, what tends to happen is it, makes these, it pushes everything far away. Mm-hmm. And so you get, you get like this uh, artifact of all of these uh, dots are on negative like negative one or positive one. So I, that, I, I think that was an interesting, uh, it, was, it was interesting to experiment in that way with the audio now data because it was smaller. And and it's, it's maybe, so what I hear from that is that Simile is developing
0: by, by new tech, but is it also driven by, by new businesses? So mm. do, do you think about new, new business perspectives, So what you can do with Simile, how to get, get the business uh, up and running? I don't know. I mean, in, in this way, yes, because in, in a way you did implicitly with without you now, because um, I think um, and and. But in kind I, I don't a kind of of a roadmap for for a product, you know, is the product developed? Uh, driven by by tech or by business or by, by I mean in a way sh- <laughs> I don't know yeah in this case it's it's maybe just by pure chance because during these hack days that that was the use case you had to work with or you decided to work with anyway but but as far as I'm aware of the audio now guys of course just like um, a flap cover in a the book mm-hmm. they do have and I think that data wasn't made available simply because maybe not as complete or it's not quality checked whatever they do have. Descriptions, yeah. a couple of hundreds of words, and that is what I used. Oh, okay. So I wasn't aware of that. That would be yeah. made available, and you know, if you think again, there is maybe a similarity to to, to books because you you know you already worked on 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 on, on the description of the audio podcast, but there are also transcripts, uh, I think, as well of these yeah, podcasts. the transcripts pod- we didn't get exactly in those you didn't get, and if you got those as well, I mean, you know, these things become even more. Well, your your solution yeah. might become even more powerful. So. I guess what we, the two of us, are getting to is a little bit. Of course, this this approach, the technology, is not limited to to the publishing world as such, because just as well to in this case the the podcast um, business. And uh, I mean, do you do you see or what are the sort of other applications which are already in place at Penguin Random House powering this sort of thing? We know there's other recommendations, email-based recommendations. in This case, and that's a clear content, yeah. you know, based recommendation. So,
1: but are you asking like where is Simile being used, or are you asking what are the actual
0: sort of business applications okay. you have? Um,
1: so, uh, you the know. the the biggest and the first I would say use was. Uh, was, was sending keywords to Amazon. So Amazon's uh, search engine, basically, before, once upon a time, there were bookstores. And bookstores are dying, unfortunately. And so most of our sales comes from Amazon. And most of Amazon, when people go there, they come through search. And Amazon gives us a five, 500-character like budget for telling them what the book is about. The the problem that Random House had was that most of them, most of the books, uh, were not using. I would say the vast majority of books were not using the full five hundred character. But even worse, a lot of them just didn't have anything, right? And so, uh, you know, first of all, these these uh, Amazon search tags that we give them are not visible to the consumer. They are just used for search. For, for Amazon to do its search. So there's no real downside to, like it's not like, it's not like a user is gonna look at the book and say, oh, why did it have, you know, like Walmart had this problem and like all these other people had problems because they were tagging things in whatever, politically incorrect ways, right? But we don't have that problem because it would not be visible. So uh, that I would think is the most mature solution that we have, basically uh, nightly, it. Runs similarly over the new books and it suggests new tags. If nothing is, um, if nobody does anything, it goes through. So it doesn't demand human, like, approval. Humans have veto power, so they can say this is inappropriate if they so choose. But if they don't choose, it's going to go right through.
0: So this is fully automated to a degree. So this pushes pushes the metadata all the way through to, to Amazon, if you like.
1: Yeah. Whoa, okay. So uh, that, I would say, is the most mature and oldest of... Oldest is like a year and a half, maybe. But I mean, yeah. Um, I believe it's being used for uh, the email personalization. There's, a, there's an email personalization, like people will send... Uh, it's a, that's another group that's doing it, but they are... They are um, they're using something called, or at least they were back then. Um, I don't know what they're using now. But uh, they were using something called LightFM that effectively sort of uh, merges semantic. Um, this is Justin Bolio's group, right? Uh, they are combining the s- semantic information that comes from Simile with co-purchase data. And that's how they send out email rec- you know, email recommendations to people. Um, there's a chat bot that uses uh, there's a Facebook chatbot that we use that uh, yeah <laughs> um, yeah that that, uh, that came out of a creativity boot camp uh, that was from two years ago that, that there was a creativity boot camp where they thought um, a chatbot would be a good idea
0: as a vehicle for recommendations as well
1: yeah, the chatbot uses uh, uses simile for recommendations. Um, there are so because simile can take arbitrary text and generate these embeddings, and then we can look for them. So like, um, so I, I built this thing to want, you know, to. So once, a long time ago, we had this uh, alliance with uh, a site called Politico. And it would read the text of their articles and recommend um, books on the basis of that. Um, that at the time was not used because it was before Simile existed, but uh, in principle we could do the same thing right now with Simile. Like I, 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 well, I can take a like a New York Times article or something, and recommend on the basis of that maybe you might be interested in these other books. Right? Okay. Um,
0: so that, that is the sort of tangent you're working at at the moment. You know, this, this no, that's, kind of that's doable, already. It's doable already. That's doable already. Or, what is it you're you currently sort of uh, focusing so, on is, is Um
1: the thing that I'm working on right now, it's very anglocent it was very anglocentric uh, similarly so simile' is up to version thirteen, right or the production one that's being used is Simile thirteen. Simile thirteen is very anglocentric, right? but there's random mouse Germany and there's random mouse Spain and um, so I am the I'm I would say I'm putting the finishing touches on it. It's it's, I'm I'm going to Munich right after, uh, I'm tomorrow, um, and it's to get uh, German recommended. It, basically it's to do similarly effectively on German and Spain, also well I'm not going to Spain but uh, but Spain also has it available to them so um, so that's what I that's what I have been working on. Um,
0: Okay, Binash, um, I guess we could keep on talking for the rest of the day, but um, we're already well beyond 30 minutes, um, okay. <laughs> closing into 45, I think. There you go. Yeah. So uh, yet again, uh, thanks very much for taking the time to come by and, and make make this recording. I mean, it's been a great discussion, I, I feel. I hope you felt the same. Yeah. And uh, and um, yeah, thank you and safe travels to Munich and back to the US. All right, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.